The text for our message this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew and the 14th chapter. This is the account of that miracle performed by the Lord Jesus Christ, which is typically known as the feeding of the 5,000. And while you're turning there, I would like to draw your attention to just a couple of things. First, there were actually two different miraculous feedings that we read about in the Gospels. One is referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, which Lord willing we'll look at this morning. The other one is called the feeding of the 4,000. These are two separate events. And I think it's important as we read through the Gospels that we don't confuse the two of them. And the second thing I want to highlight before we begin is that this miraculous feeding is not only found here in the Gospel of Matthew, but also in Mark, Luke, and John. To see the same miracle covered by all four of the evangelists is actually somewhat rare. So this fact alone already leads us to believe that there is something truly remarkable about this miracle. So let's hear then the account before us this morning. Again, Matthew chapter 14, beginning at the 13th verse, and I'll be reading through the 21st verse. Hear now once again the living words of the true and holy God. Now, when Jesus heard this, speaking about uh, the, the death of John, when he heard this, he withheld, he withdrew rather from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. My brothers and sisters and friends, do you ever hunger after the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to be filled by him? In that beloved portion of the scripture that we read in the Sermon on the Mount, that portion called the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
Friends, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Now, this is not the only place where Jesus speaks in terms of this spiritual hunger. Of course, he gave us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is a a vivid and a sensory sign and seal of feeding on him, of being filled by him. But even outside of the context of the supper, Jesus uses the same metaphor. For example, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 6, we read, Jesus speaks and says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And Jesus said, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me also will live because of me. Now, of course, this is figurative language that Jesus is the bread of life. It's not to be taken literally. And so we are to understand here that we feed on Christ by faith, by faith. But isn't it a beautiful image that the Lord gives us about himself here when he says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. As we feed on Christ by faith, we find our sustenance in him. In Christ, we have everything we need to satisfy our being. Do you remember when the devil tempted Christ in the wilderness? One of the things that Jesus said to him was, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. My friends, our Lord Jesus does not only speak the word of God, but he himself is the word of God, as we understand at the beginning of the Gospel of John. He is that logos, that heavenly logos, that's come down from heaven to us. He is that living bread. He is that living word of God that we are to feed on. These are words of imitation by Christ. I am the bread of life. He's drawing us to him with these words. And it's God's spirit that moves us to say, I want to be fed by Christ. I want to be filled with him. Now, this morning we read of an account where Jesus fed a great multitude of people in a clearly miraculous way. And at this event, we come to a statement that he put to his disciples, which at the time must have seemed quite puzzling. When the disciples told Jesus that it was late and that he should send away the multitudes so they could go back to their villages and go into shops and buy food for themselves, Jesus says, they need not go away. They need not go away. You know, in the four accounts of this miracle, This is the only place in the Gospel of Matthew where we read these words from the Lord. They need not go away. And those are the words I'd like to use as a focus for our message this morning. But naturally, we may ask ourselves, why did Jesus, Jesus, our Lord, say they do not need to go away? Well, most obviously, and first of all, I think it's because the people were hungry and Jesus was going to feed them. Jesus knew from the outset what he intended to do. 
And secondly, I'd like to suggest to you that he says to them that the people do not need to go away because they just ran hard after him to be with him. And the Lord Jesus was moved with compassion for them. So why send them away? So first, let's consider that Jesus said they do not need to go away because he was going to satisfy them. He was going to feed them. But before we explore that consideration, I think I need to tell you about the immediate context, what's going on in the narrative at this point, just so we get a better idea of the context. And I'll begin with a question. How was it that at this time there was such a large number of people that gathered around the Lord Jesus? Now Mark, though he's the shortest gospel of four, actually gives more detail here than the others. We read that the twelve disciples had just returned after being sent out on a missionary journey, and the Lord wanted them to rest. We read in Mark in the sixth chapter, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. It's talking again about this missionary journey and the experience that the, the disciples had. And he said to them, the Lord said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat, if you can imagine that. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Now, in the Greek, the word deserted may also be rendered as remote or secluded or uninhabited, or as we have here in the ESV, desolate. So when we read a translation that speaks of it as a deserted place, we must not picture in our minds the hot, sandy dunes of a desert. As J.A. Alexander writes about this place, he says, This was not a barren waste. Most probably it was an untilled pasture ground. Indeed, John tells us in the parallel account that the annual feast of the Passover was at hand, so the miracle probably took place in the springtime when the land was typically refreshed by the rain. We are also told by John that there was, quote, much grass in that place. And interestingly, Mark even adds this detail, that the grass was green. But why did Jesus decide to go to this desolate place? Well, in addition to the rest, which we already read about, that the Lord wanted uh, his disciples to take, we read in our passage that when Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, he decided to depart in a boat. After the beheading of John, a sense of danger may have lingered in the air. As the Dutch annotations put it, going to a desolate place may be a way to avoid danger, seeing that the Lord's hour had not yet come. And perhaps Jesus recognized in John's death a turning point in his own earthly life and ministry. The beheading of John signaled the approach of the Lord's own sacrifice on the cross. Next we read in Mark's account, But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. And so perhaps you're asking yourself, if the Lord and the disciples departed in a boat to go to this place, how could the people follow on foot? And again, I think the Dutch annotations are helpful here. 
we read that Christ was not passed unto the other side of the sea, but over a bay, abiding on the same side where they could follow him on foot. Now, I hope I have not been too tedious in giving you all these details from the narrative. So let's come to our first consideration as to why the Lord said they do not need to go away. And naturally, it's because the people were hungry and he was going to feed them. He was going to satisfy them. Recall once again the scene. It was late. The disciples still hadn't had their rest. They're tired. And perhaps they're a bit anxious about this large crowd. So they came to Jesus with a very practical solution. Send the multitudes away so they can return to the villages and go to the shops and buy food for themselves. There's no shop in this remote place. But Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat. What? This must have seemed like madness to the disciples. There's some 5,000 men here, not counting the women and the children. All we have are five loaves of bread and two fish. The disciples have made no plan ahead of time to prepare a meal for such a multitude as this. But you see, their response will underscore the miracle that Jesus is just about to perform. Yes, you could also say that Jesus was challenging their faith. At another place, the Lord admonishes them, If you have faith and do not doubt, you say to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Indeed, remember, they just came from a missionary journey where they not only preached repentance, but were also told in the scripture that they cast out many demons and they healed those who were sick. So Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. But like us, their faith was too weak. And I think at the same time, Jesus, as the good shepherd, is teaching his under-shepherds that they must learn to care for his sheep. And the Lord is also teaching them that without him, there can be no ministry for his people. And so he says, bring them, that is the, the loaves and the fish, here to me. And then Jesus commands the people to sit down on the grass. Uh, presumably this was done in order to have an orderly distribution of the food. But doesn't this incident remind you of that beloved Psalm 23 that we just sang. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. Next, Jesus looks up to heaven and prays to bless the food. And perhaps this will also remind you of how the Lord taught his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus then broke the bread and gave portions for his disciples to serve the people. So, as it turns out, it is as if the disciples did give the people something to eat, but then without Christ, they could do nothing. Now, I want you to think about this. How pleasant it must have been after seeing Jesus heal, heal many who were sick 
and hearing him teach to relax and sit down, or actually, as the original language puts it, to recline, to recline on the grassy field. Can you imagine what that would be like? Resting in the green grass, hearing the children laugh and play, running around as children always do, and watching the disciples go from one group to the next, serving everyone from the baskets that overflowed with bread and fish. This reminds me of a text in the prophet of Zechariah, where the prophecies of a particular time about Jerusalem are exhibited in the, the prophecy. Zechariah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. This is a prophecy in respect to Jerusalem. But how many times do we read in the scripture that Jerusalem is put as a figure for the church? And look at the blessing that's described here. That each one, each old men and old women, each one is with a staff in their hand because of their great age. This is the blessing that the Lord gives to his people, a longevity, a, a, a great a length of many days of life. That's a blessing. And then, on the other hand, the, the boys and the girls were playing in the streets. The streets are full of them playing, which depicts the idea that the streets were so safe that the parents could relax and the children could freely play. This is also a blessing. Matthew Henry says that this prophecy was fulfilled after the Babylonian captivity, but he says more fully in the gospel church. So next in our account, we read that they all ate and they were satisfied in verse 20. So not just some of the people ate, but we read that they all ate. And no one just ate to get by, but they all ate until they were completely satisfied. Now we know there was a great abundance of food because what remained afterwards was so much greater than what they started with, right? They started with just five loaves of bread and two fish, and we read that there was so much food left over that when the disciples collected it, there was a total of 12 baskets full of fragments of food. Such was the outpouring of Christ's blessing on these people. He always does his blessings in great abundance. My friends, whenever we feed on what Christ offers to us, we will be completely satisfied. Do you remember the miracle of the Lord, one of his early miracles at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, when the master of the feast called the bridegroom over, and he said, after tasting the wine, that the Lord had changed from water to wine. And of course, this master of the feast didn't know about it. He says to the bridegroom, you have kept the good wine until now. It would have been miraculous enough if the Lord Jesus changed water into something that tasted like cheap wine. He still couldn't do that by a natural chemical process. It still would have been a miracle. But Jesus does everything unto excellence. And so, as the master of the feast says, you have kept the good wine, that is the wine that the Lord transformed from the water, 
until now. So Jesus not only performs miracles, so to speak, but he does everything unto excellence. Boys and girls, how do you think that fish and that bread tasted on that day? I bet it was delicious. But there is one thing in the interpretation of our passage that I think we should be on guard against. What about the number of baskets? You know, did you read here there are 12 baskets? What does that mean? 12 baskets. 12 baskets. My friends, a plain narrative account in the Gospels is not the place to look for some mystical meaning about the number 12. The text before us this morning is not apocalyptic literature, such as we find in the book of Revelation, where numbers are frequently, if not constantly, used symbolically. But this is a different literary genre here in the Gospels. And even though in the book of Revelation numbers are used symbolically, Still, we should not look in the scripture for some secret kind of da Vinci code. This is not how we are to interpret the scripture. One commentary I came on this place about the 12 baskets said this, and this is a reformed commentary. He says, likely symbolic that Jesus has come to give a full blessing upon Israel. Do you understand the idea? Israel, 12 tribes, 12 baskets. That's the idea. But my friends, I don't see any warrant for taking such a view given the literary context of a plain gospel narrative. And in fact, if there is some correlation between the 12 baskets and 12 disciples, it's probably because each disciple grabbed a basket in order to collect the food. The point, here's the point. You know, the Holy Spirit, as he indicts the word, nothing is in there by accident. Everything has a point, a purpose. And so we should ask ourselves, what is the intent then of the Holy Spirit in indicting this word that says there are 12 baskets? The point is, is to underscore the great abundance that the Lord Jesus miraculously multiplied from just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. That's the point. Remember, there was a great number of people here, 5,000 men, not considering the wives and children, which could easily double the number of the 5,000. And I think the point is, like all of the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performed, is that this miraculous feeding testified as to who he is. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah that the scripture prophesied to come. He is that theanthropos, that God-man, that came to be a ransom for many. So why would Jesus send them away when he was going to feed all of them, and through the miracle he was going to reveal himself to these people as the Messiah? Again, Jesus said, they need not go away. And so let's come to our second consideration why Jesus spoke these words. I think it's remarkable in the passage to see how hard these people ran after Jesus just to be with him. And also we read, 
corresponding to that, that Jesus was moved with compassion for them. And so not only did Jesus fill their bellies, but he also warmed their hearts. Imagine how the news about Jesus spread by word of mouth and all the commotion it must have caused. The air must have been electrified with excitement. As we read in the Westminster Annotations at this place, note their zeal. They go as soon as they hear that he was gone. They go a great way about on foot, leaving businesses, families, and cities of good accommodation in order to follow Christ in desert places. Friends, I want you to think about this. What do you think it would have been like if you had been out there with them, rushing along with a crowd of people behind you, your home, the villages, the places of, of comfort and accommodation, and running with so many people who just want to be with Jesus? You see, those who hunger for Christ are willing to go out of their way to be with him. My friends, are you as eager to find Jesus as these people were? Listen again from the scripture what these people did. We read in the parallel passage in Mark that they arrived before them and came together to him. Do you understand what Mark is saying here? A boat was the quicker way to get to this desolate place, but these people rushed on foot, evidently running most of the way. Because we read that the crowd of people got to the other side of the bay before Jesus and his disciples arrived in the boat. My brothers and sisters, do, you, do I have that sort of drive to commune and fellowship with Christ? What is more, we're told from this account that Christ healed their sick. He healed their sick. Indeed, some who were sick followed after him with hopeful anticipation. As we read in John, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased or sick. Mark tells us that many knew him. That is, they recognized Jesus and they heard about his healings. Imagine how the healing must have given them a feeling of renewal. No aches, no pains, no suffering. You might even say that there were some who were given a foretaste, a foretaste, I say, of what it will be like in their own future resurrected bodies. How this healing must have completed their experience that day. That feeling of bodily wholeness, while at the same time being fed by Christ, both physically and spiritually. Remember, these people ran hard after Jesus, and he satisfied them. He did receive them. He did heal them. And he renewed them. Friends, is this your desire for Christ? Do you want to be renewed by him? For in Jesus Christ, there is eternal life. As we read earlier, Jesus says to you and to me, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, 
He will live forever. Friends, receive Jesus by faith and you'll be filled by him. Believe in him and you'll be satisfied with that abundant, overflowing, eternal life that's only found in Christ. And then we read in our passage that when Jesus went out or went ashore, as the ESV here puts it, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. Mark adds that he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. You see, the Lord has compassion on his people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And when we read the phrase in verse 14 that Jesus was moved with compassion, that phrase actually just comes from a single Greek word, splankhnizomai. But this word, in, uh, if you look in Bollinger, he, and not, he's not the only one, but he says that in, this Greek, in the Greek, this term actually means to feel the bowels yearn. To feel the bowels yearn. That's really what's in the Greek underneath this translation that Jesus was moved with compassion. So the compassion of the Lord was not some sort of sentimental, superficial, fleeting feeling. It ran deep. And so just as the people yearned eagerly for Christ, he yearned in compassion for them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is not the only place in the Gospels where this word compassion is used in connection with Christ's identity as the Good Shepherd. Just a little bit earlier in this Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 9, we read, But when he saw the multitudes, that is, when the Lord saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, and get this, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. You see, the compassion of the Lord Jesus demonstrates his love for his people as he accomplishes the redemption. My brothers and sisters and friends, this is a deep-seated compassion in the Lord Jesus. This is characteristic of him. Even now in glory, as he sits at the right hand of the Father, the so-called session of Christ, from which he is ruling as the head not only of the church, but as the king over all the nations. So we must not think that somehow when Jesus rose from the dead and sent into heaven, that he left his compassion behind on the earth. No. He's the same Christ. He's the same Lord Jesus. And returning to the parallel account in Mark, as soon as we read that Jesus was moved with compassion, we read, so he began to teach them many things. Now, isn't that interesting? We may not think of compassion being demonstrated this way, but the very first thing that Jesus did to demonstrate his compassion for the people was to teach them. And we see in a parallel account in the Gospel of Luke that he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, just to be clear, though Jesus had compassion on all of them, we must not assume that they were all of the elect. 
In fact, in these passages, we read of, of a mixed response. There were some who, as we read in the parallel account in John, believed and testified, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world because of this miracle. Now, this is an allusion to that prophecy of Moses, which was well known by the Jews. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, And the Lord said to me, that is to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This text was commonly understood by the Jews as a foretelling of the Messiah. But then there were those who did not understand the Lord's first coming. We read in John, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And then we read that on the next day, there were some who searched for Jesus, but when they found him, this is what he told them. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs or the miracle, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. So in this case, their bellies were filled, but their spiritual eyes remained blind. But as Jesus was moved with compassion on these people, as sheep without a shepherd, and he taught and he healed them after they sought him so diligently, why would he send them away? They need not go away. My friends, allow me to ask you again, do you ever hunger after the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to be filled by him? If you do not hunger and thirst after righteousness, it might be because your bellies are already filled with other things. Are you sated with the world along with its riches and its lusts and the pride of life? Then I tell you, you will have no desire for Christ. But if you do have that hunger, that longing for something to fill that emptiness that you feel in your soul, then feed on that living bread of Christ, which came down to us from heaven, that bread of life, which he freely offers to you and to me. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek him for the forgiveness of your sins. We all have sinned. We all have committed many sins. Seek the Lord, because there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved but the name of the Lord Jesus. My friends, looking back at this passage, would Jesus say to you, you do not need to go away? But don't you see, he cannot say that to you unless you are already in his presence, unless you are already fellowshipping with him. And what would he say to those who do not care to find him, to those who cannot care less to be with him, to those who have no desire to run after him. But the Lord Jesus will not turn away anyone that earnestly seeks him. 
Friends, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. For once you find Jesus, he will never send you away. Let us pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, what a wonderful gift we have in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How you, O Lord, even because of your love, you are willing to give and to sacrifice your own beloved Son, that we may turn to him in faith, that we may not perish, but have everlasting life. So, Lord, we pray that you would be with us this morning. And if there's anyone here who has not met with Christ, we pray that you might meet with them and that he or she would not put off that meeting, but that they may be touched by your holy word this morning and seek you with all of their hearts and with all of your strength. Be with us now, O Lord, as we continue in this worship service. Please pardon us and forgive us, O Lord, of all of our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.